Today's Hilton Seminary resource is brought to you by Aware3. At Aware3, their goal is to help your church build connections using mobile technology. They help you extend church beyond Sunday mornings by putting it in the palm of everyone's hand. Learn more about how a custom mobile app can help you improve engagement, communication, and generosity at www.aware3.com. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. My name's Rich, the host around these parts, and I am so glad that you've decided to tune in today. Today we've got Carrie Newhoff finishing up our month-long exploration of church leaders from all over the world. Kerry's a dear friend. Uh, he's the founding and teaching pastor at Connexus Church just north of Toronto. And today he's talking about really what I think is core content for all of us to wrestle through, which is how do we stay true to our mission uh, while changing our methods? And uh, I just love everything that Kerry had to share in this interview. Now listen, folks, next Tuesday, November 1st, um, I'm launching my very first book. It's called Unreasonable Churches, 10 Churches Who Zagged When Others Zigged and Saw More Impact Because of It. It's appropriate that we've got Kerry on the podcast today because he uh, wrote this really nice, super kind uh, forward to the book where he, I love his opening line, which is, hey, this is a bit of a dangerous book. Uh, sometimes as church leaders, we talk ourselves out of progress by offering a series of excuses and justifications that leaves us exactly where we are stuck. Uh, that's how he opens up his uh, forward to my book, Unreasonable Churches. And I would love for you to pick up a copy. Uh, you can do that uh, starting Tuesday, November uh, first, you can do that on Amazon. You can do that at unreasonablechurches.com. Uh, you can also do that on my site at unseminary.com. You'll find links on there for that. And this this book is really designed for you and your team to process and work through together. Each of the chapters is really a different idea that I think you should be wrestling through as a team. And not that you want to replicate what these 10 churches did, but really use it as an inspiration for you to be thinking about what you should do at your church and really as a, as a starting point point for discussion. And so what we've wanted to do, what we've done is we've put together a package. We're calling it the team edition. If you buy two or more copies of it and email your receipt to team at unreasonablechurches.com, we're going to send back to you uh, PDFs uh, of these, these printable PDFs, which are discussion uh, printables that you can use uh, to use with your team to really guide your team through conversation. And we're also going to give you a free audiobook version of it. I know some people would rather listen to the audiobook than read it. And so those two together will help you use it as a team. So I would be honored if you'd buy two or more copies. It makes a great Christmas gift. Um, and again, I did this because I want to motivate your church to really think about something new. But you know what? Without further ado, let's join our interview now uh, with Kerry Newhoff. I was so honored that he took some time out uh, to be on the show. Uh, I love him. He's a dear friend. Uh, and let's listen into what Carrie has to say. This is the Unseminary Podcast. Stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Hey, it's great to be here, Rich. Thanks so much for having me. 
Oh, it's always nice to uh, connect with you. Well, Carrie is, you know, for folks who listen, um, you know, I am a Canadian. I've talked about that in the past. Uh, you know, most of the people who listen to the show, vast majority, I think it's 95, might even be more than that, are uh, American. And uh, mm. But I, I, I've loved serving in the States, love being a part of uh, of that culture. Carrie has continued to serve in, in Canada and so really is the Canadian expert in the room today. So, Carrie, why yeah. don't we start? I have my Canadian shirt on. My yes, shirt. the Canadian. Yeah, I, I really like appreciate that. Via that's, video. <laughs> that's very nice that for the true north strong and free why don't we start by you know as we've been asking people give us a sense of the kind of spiritual climate of your country of canada give us kind of a sense of what that looks like yeah well you know i spent a lot of time in the u.s as well they occasionally let me out of canada and uh, one thing one thing i noticed and i've spent time in europe we're building into church leaders on a couple of occasions and some time uh, vacationing there with my family and i think canada is really a hybrid between europe in the United States. Um, one of the analogies that helps me, apparently this is true, but a hundred years ago when you were in a coal mine, you always had a canary there. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently canaries are much more sensitive to toxic gas than humans are. So, right. you know, the workers would be working around then all of a sudden Buddy over there drops dead. It's like, oh, we should get out of the mine. Right. But you have a canary in the mine because the canary will die before it really is lethal to humans. Mm. So you check the canary every once in a while. It's like, oh, canary's keeling over. It's time to get out of the mine. So we're the canary in the coal mine. Mm. Um, we, we we, I think, are, depending on your region in the U.S., like if you're in, your, in New England, mm -hmm. I think you, you can identify with the Canadian landscape a little bit better. If you're in Georgia or Texas, right. uh, probably not so much. If you're anywhere near a Bible Belt, um, you know, Canada is probably 10 to 15 years ahead or behind where you are, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, right? absolutely. In terms of being postmodern, post-Christian, pretty much post everything. So for example, you know, last year was the big decision by the Supreme Court of the United States on same-sex marriage in the United States. Well, that happened in our country a decade ago. Right. And so and 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 when you look at a lot of Barna's research, David Kinnaman stuff on um, millennials and sort of their spiritual attitudes and how I think 48% of millennials are post-Christian in the United States. Well, uh, a millennial mindset is more like a baby boomer mindset in Canada right. to the point that we have been thinking that way for two or three generations. And so the church is really a minority. I mean, it's just not expected, kind of like New England or Seattle, that anybody you know goes to church. You know, most of the traffic on Sunday morning, if there is traffic, is to the mall or to the beach or to the ski hill. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sundays have really drifted off the radar screen of most people living in our country. And so you see, you know, the disappearance of collective guilt. Nobody really feels guilty about not being in church. Mm -hmm. The question isn't, hey, what church do you go to? Which is still actually true in some cities, even like Atlanta. Mm -hmm. The assumption is you probably are affiliated with some church. Right. Um, whereas in Canada, that's really unique. I'll give, you, I'll give you a very interesting example. I was flying back from Atlanta last Friday or mm -hmm. Saturday, actually. And I had this guy who, who was probably in his very early 20s mm -hmm. uh, sitting next to me on the plane. And so, you know, I'm looking at his laptop. He's looking at mine. And as we're descending, I'm like, hey, so you're a coder. He's like, yeah, I'm a coder. He goes, what do you do? So uh, I tell him, you know, I help church leaders. I'm a church leader. And he, I, he goes, were you at a church in, in Atlanta? And I said, yeah. And this guy does not look like a church-going guy. Right, right. At all. He's got the nose ring. He's actually heading to Tokyo to play and compete in the world championships for this card game. So he's really? a coach slash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fascinating guy. Yeah. And uh, he says, what church do you go to? 
And I'm like, I I was at North Point. And he goes, I knew you were going to say that. He goes, <laughs> so this 22-year-old, and he goes, that's the church, because he's from Atlanta. He's from yeah. Alpharetta. He goes, that's the church that if we go to church, we go to. But like, right. we haven't been there in two years and the whole deal. So we talk a little bit about it. But he's like, yeah, that's kind of my parents' church. That's if I go to church, I'm there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a guy who in Canada probably would not have that. He would right. probably be... Um, you know, he, he couldn't carry on the conversation beyond that, but we had a really good time, told him what to do while on his layover in Toronto, nice. you know, wished him all the best at his, his championship, the whole deal. But there's a guy who would not have any church background in Canada who has some kind of tangential affiliation or even knows what a North Point is. Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely. you go around Barry and Aurelia and go, what's Conexus? People would have no idea. Right. Or even the meeting house where yeah. you used to be, you know, Absolutely. you know, people are like, unless you're in the church world, you just don't know. Right. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the there's an interesting um, parallel as someone who straddled the border. I, I remember there seems to be a part of the kind of American presidential Olymp or, um, you know, process. I was going to say presidential Olympic process, but presidential election process. It feels that way. It feels feels that way. way where all the candidates have to kind of feign. Um, some sort of religious affiliation, right? Like they, they, it becomes mm. a part of their kind of their brand. And I don't think any people really care about it, but, but it becomes like, you have to at least say that you're a Christian or, or talk about your spiritual background where I feel like in Canada, if, if a leader at that level did that, it would actually be a detriment to their, you know, their political campaign. It would actually hurt them. Oh, totally. I mean, you look at Stephen Harper, our yeah. prime minister for almost a decade, uh, who was defeated last fall in 2015 in an election. Yep. You know, he, he is actually an evangelical Christian. Right. But like that was a mark against him, not a mark for him. Right. Whereas Justin Trudeau, our current prime minister, has nice hair and uh, <laughs> no, you know, he's spiritual, right. but not not Christian. And that's a bonus because, you know, and that's the other thing people think, well, if if, you know, in a post-Christian culture is just everybody an agnostic or an atheist. I think the last data I saw, 76% of Canadians identify themselves as spiritual. And, you know, there, there's a lot who are now non-affiliated. I'll tell you, a culture shift, even in, in my two decades of leadership, mm -hmm. I, I do the odd wedding, not a lot. But like in the beginning, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, I would say, hey, Rich and Christine, you know, what denomination are you? What's your religion, I think, is the question. Mm -hmm. And people would say Presbyterian, Anglican, Baptist, you know, whatever, Pentecostal, yeah. whatever. Now, even people who go to our church, it's, well, we're a non-denominational church, but anyway, now. Yes. But it's like Christian. Christian or like there's no denominational affiliation. Right. It's either Christian or spiritual or non-denominational right. or whatever. So, I mean, that has changed so much in the last 20 years, even in, in our hearing. So mm -hmm. people just don't identify. And um, most people are spiritual. Mm -hmm. Like I think only 13% are atheists and the rest are agnostic and 76% are spiritual, if my data is correct. Mm -hmm. um, but they just don't think a church can help. Right. And spiritual is however you define it. Right. Um, you know, someone might say, well, I kind of like a little bit of Buddhism. And, you know, I was an Alcoholics Anonymous and they helped me and that's spiritual. And I do yoga mm -hmm. and I tried some, um, you know, some meditation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's kind of in, in an American context, kind of a, a Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Tim would be very, very, yes. he would fit in very well in Canada yep. because he's spiritual, he's experimental, he's left-leaning mm -hmm. and... That's just where the culture has gone.
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as that has been the context that you've you've lived in and grown in, the part that I love, one of the things I respect about you as a leader, love about you as a leader, is you really do have a, you know, a firm commitment to, you know, creating churches that unchurched people love to attend. That, that you know, that's really been your life's work. Um, although you maybe haven't articulated it that way all the time, that's really been, you know, when I watch the trajectory of your leadership, that's been what you've been doing. So how has... Um, wanting to do that, how has that been impacted by the culture that you find yourself serving in? What does that, how does that work itself out in, in the church that you've led? Oh, it's been completely defining for us. So we've used the language because we're a North Point strategic partner at Connexus Church of creating a church that unchurched people love to attend. But I can take you back to the moment, Rich, mm-hmm. um, when that message got emblazoned on my heart. I mean, I can take you to different points. When I was 12 years old, I wanted to translate the Bible into English that people could understand. Nice. Right? As, I was reading as most 12-year-olds do. As most 12-year-olds do. <laughs> most 12-year-olds do. You know, I'm like, I remember praying a prayer saying, God, I can understand this because I grew up in church, but I knew that most of my friends can't. So oh, could I do this? And then cool. I remember when I was struggling with a call to ministry, listening to the music that most normal people listen to, which is not church music, going... Gosh, if church music could ever sound like this. Now, I had no idea there was a Willow Creek. I had no idea, you know. I still went to my church, and it was organ or piano. Which one are we using today, right? right? And which hymn book, the red or the blue? Right. I mean, that, that, was the, that was my church context, but I had those inclinations. But as a pastor, a couple of years into my leadership, you know, we started to see growth, and I just had a moment. These were in the historic three Presbyterian churches that I was in, and the one that was built in 1893, I remember standing up there on the pulpit, looking out of the stained glass, little church that sat about 100 people. And I just remember being burdened mm-hmm. while I was preaching. It was like a like a kind of a weird, almost like a movie, you know, where something happens while something else is happening. Yes. And I remember getting this strong, strong realization that God cares more passionately of the people about the people outside of the windows mm-hmm. than he does the people inside the windows. And I think I said it that day. And I said, if we're going to reach them, we have to use the culture to reach the culture. And so that's around the time that we, you know, I knew the music was bad, but it was like, okay, we need a five-year timeline to make it great. We need to change our governance structure. We need to get out of these buildings because mostly because we were outgrowing them. Mm -hmm. We need to, you know, we need to do all this stuff. And we, if we're expecting the culture to change, ha, you know, we're going to wait all day long. We, we are the ones who need to change. We're the people who need to change our preferences because what unites us is the gospel and Jesus' death for the world. What's dividing, what's separating the church from the world right now is this really weird, not very good church culture Mm. um, that we should get rid of. And, and we should just sort of cooperate with the culture. We can use the culture to reach the culture. And I've, I've used that phrase for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It works. It right. really works. And I think often we get, we, we confuse the mission and the method. Mm-hmm. And we just get so devoted to our method. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even that right now, it connects us. Like we're adding technology so we can do more beats in our music because oh, yeah. it, 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 <laughs> sounds, it sounds very, it could be 2012 at right. our church or 2008. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we're trying to get younger. We're, we're making changes all the time because what happens, and you and I have talked about this before on my podcast, mm-hmm. you know, you end up with a bunch of 40, 50-year-old white guys making all the decisions. And right. the church, it's like my 20-year-old says, none of my friends listen to Coldplay. 
The right. only people who listen to Coldplay are people your age, and you know everybody's dad <laughs> listens to Coldplay. But my friends so listen true. to you too. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm sitting there going, no, I'm incredibly relevant, and he's like, eh, no, you're not. Yes, it's so true. No, that's so true. I think the music thing is a big part of the equation. You know, as I, um, you know, I've got teenagers, which is a way to stay humble in life. Um, <laughs> yes, but yes. you know, and they it, actually come back with gratitude later. Just okay, so you know. well, that's good. Rich. I'm looking forward to those days. To but they, you know, I think there is a part of, um, you know, the music thing is is keeping ahead of the curve. And you know, I've I've been saying this, and actually, I was saying this to a friend earlier, just earlier today. I said, you know, I, I really do think that our musical expression where I think a lot of what we consider contemporary church is a bit stuck. You know, it continues to be in this, how do, how do we push to the future? How do we, it's not even in the future. It's just, where is it today? Um, you know, and I appreciate that. What are some other, when you think of, um, you know, there's kind of the Sunday programming piece, you know, trying to keep that relevant, continuing to, you know, are there other kind of pieces of the equation that you've had to do to stay connected to, uh, you know, post-Christian culture? Yeah. Relationship. I mean, you know, and, and the way you approach people who don't go to church and don't share your values or your convictions. Uh, Reggie Joyner is, is a great friend, and we've known each other for a while, and he's one of the best at this that, frankly, I've ever met in my life. And he just said, you know, nobody will con- be convinced that you love them if they sense that you don't like them. Oh, and wow. That that is just so convicting. That's to the heart. So, that's to the heart. Yeah. Oh, that's like okay. Could you be a little more ambiguous? Like just make it <laughs> cut less, Reggie. But he's right. And a lot of Christians, you know, what do we do on our Facebook? What do we do in our social media tweets? We rant against the world, and then we can't understand why the world doesn't come running to us. And so, you know, when I go, I got a text before we did this interview from my neighbor. Hey, you want to go for a bike ride today? And I love my neighbor, but you know what? He doesn't sometimes let some f bombs you know, fly. And he, he's never responded once to any invitations to church. But, you know, the question is, is he a project or is he a person? Is right. he somebody I'm going to, you know, and uh, when you're dealing with unchurched people, you're not going to agree with their lifestyle. Some right. of them are going to smoke weed. Some of them are going to have sex outside of marriage. Some of them are going to, you know, they're going to, and, and some of them, by contrast, are going to be fantastic, you know, mm-hmm wonderful people morally and otherwise yep. and then and then they're like well i thought i had to be a christian to be a good person but i'm already a good person and you're right. like you know what you are a good person let's just mm-hmm. be honest mm-hmm. you know so i think a lot of christians we live in this stereotypical bubble where we don't actually like unchurched people mm-hmm. and we have reasons we you know rich what i think we've done in the evangelical church is we you know we'll and i'm not criticizing roman catholicism at all here mm-hmm. but you know Protestants criticize Catholics for saying, you're all about works, you're all about right. works salvation. Mm-hmm. I think what we've done in the Protestant evangelical church, particularly the conservative church, is we have taken works, and we won't let them in the front door, but we bring them in the back door. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we are better than you. Um, God loves us because we're righteous, and you're not very righteous, so you know you don't, you don't really belong in our club. And we have tried to smash, I've tried to smash that attitude mm-hmm. in my heart, because mm-hmm. it's there, you know, idols, they keep building themselves. So um, I, I'm trying to kill that in my heart. Mm-hmm. We're trying to kill that in our church, and we're trying to be gracious and compassionate and empathetic. You know, the way Reggie or Andy Stanley would say, man, if I were you and I believed what you believed, I would live the way you live. Like, it makes right. perfect sense. And when you have that kind of empathy, when you mm-hmm. show that kind mm-hmm. of grace, when you're, when you're in relationships like that with people with, mm-hmm. with whom perhaps you do profoundly disagree at a truth level mm-hmm. or, or maybe even disagree at a lifestyle level, but mm-hmm. you don't judge them, mm-hmm. 
man, it's amazing. You just build friendships. Right. And the reality about human existence is simply this. We listen most to the people that we love the most. Mm. And mm. if they don't love you, they're not going to listen to you. But right. if you build a relationship and, and you actually just genuinely like them, like I think that's mm. what attracted um, people who were maybe not observant Jews, people mm. who were Gentiles in Jesus' day. It's like, this guy actually loves me. Like, this mm. guy actually likes me. Mm-hmm. And when somebody actually likes you, mm-hmm. you're, you're open to them. And you're, okay, tell me, Rich, you, you're weird, but you go to church, right? Like, what is that church thing <laughs> right. you do on the yes. weekend? Right, right, right. right? But if you're rich, the neighbor who's always calling the township because the guy hasn't mowed his lawn or, right, you right, know, right, calling right. the city because if you're rich, the angry Christian, mm-hmm. I'm not going to listen to you. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite. So right. what we've learned is that in building relationships, you need to have a lot of empathy. And empathy doesn't mean agreement. Mm-hmm. And you need to keep the relationship because right. if you don't have a relationship, there is no possible way that you can ever have influence in, in somebody's life. Well, let's get practical on that issue because I think, you know, you speak to a lot of church leaders. Um, you know, you're, a lot of people follow you. And, um, you know, I think it can be hard for church leaders to have relationships with people outside the church. Um, that that can just, our, our lives can become swallowed up with, you know, we're constantly meeting with donors, with leaders, with, you know, we're trying to recruit people. Or we're trying to, you know, meet with some young people in the church. And so before you know it, it's, I think there are those extreme examples of, you know, the guy who's an idiot, frankly. Um, but I think more church <laughs> leaders are probably impacted by the, I just am not making space in my life for folks outside the church. Um, how do how have you done that? And how would you coach some leaders who may be listening in today to make relationship space uh, for folks in their lives? Yeah, you know, as, as clinical as this sounds, it doesn't happen unless you schedule it. Right. So I have a couple of breakfast slots that are open most weeks on mm-hmm. Tuesday and Thursday morning. And I will often meet with somebody who's just going through a hard time or an unchurched person I'm building into. Mm-hmm. I always try to have one or two personal relationships, not like somebody I talked to for five minutes after a sermon one day, but like right. people I'm building into and I'm doing life with. It's mm-hmm. Andy Stanley's Do For One. Mm-hmm. what you wish you could do for everyone. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think getting involved in the community outside of your church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have, I, I cycle, I tend to cycle alone unless mm-hmm. I'm with an unchurched friend and mm-hmm. then I'll cycle together in a group uh, with that person. But it's just building relationships. It's mm-hmm. praying for them. And, you know, you, you, you reach one or two people a year and it can make a really big difference. You I went do. for a, a walk and, and don't give up. You know, I went for a walk this week with a guy that I met a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he had was kind of unchurched, started coming to our church, and then literally walked out the door, and we didn't see him for five years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just wasn't very open. And then right. his life took a turn last fall. He started texting me again. He still had my cell phone. <laughs> he, we had him over for dinner, built a relationship. He gave his life to Christ a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just, we just hang out, and we're just talking. That's and, cool. You need you need to have and you need to have that and you need to take the initiative as a leader because unchurched people are never going to email you. Right. Leaders will email you, donors will email you. Mm-hmm. You know, people with marriage breakdown, pastoral problems, emergencies—they'll email you, they'll text mm-hmm. you, they'll Facebook you all day long. Unchurched people never will. Mm-hmm. So you just have to make the time for them. Mm-hmm. And if if I don't put it in my calendar it doesn't happen. Right. That's very good. That's a good word. And that, that principle of applying, you know, in your own personal life of making room in your life for unchurched people. 
how are you expecting to do that as a church unless you are doing that in your own personal life, right? Like, and the the principle is the same, you know, how we, we want to have the voice of, you know, unchurched folks in our churches as we're planning, as we're thinking that through, what do, how does our kids ministry connect with people who aren't, who aren't church? And how does our, you know, why are we, what are we speaking about on Sundays that would connect with people who are unchurched? If we're not making that space in our own lives, it's very hard to do that in the life of our uh, church for sure. And, and I think, Rich, you're so right. Like, there's a certain point at which you have to start saying no to Christians right. if you want to build a relationship with non-Christians. Yes. Because I could fill every waking second of my life with Christians who want to meet with me, yep. and I just won't do it. Right. I, I, I can't do it. You have to say no to Christians for the sake of the lost. It's kind of that parable Jesus told, right, right. where you leave the 99 and you yep. go and find one. We yep. just live in a country where it's like, well, we found one. We just lost 99. So, right. hey, you over there, sit over there. Yes. We're going to go and try to find those 99. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, you, you know, interact with, um, you know, leaders in, in the U.S. quite a bit. And part of what we're doing this month, if you've been listening along, is actually asking leaders from around the world uh, to kind of give some advice, some brotherly advice to um, leaders in the states about saying, hey, this is kind of from my perspective what, um, you know, if I was leading in your culture, what I've learned from my perspective might help you as you're leading, you know, in an increasingly post-Christian, post-modern world. What would you say to uh, carry to church leaders, um, you know, in the states as they're thinking about that issue? Well, this is a little... Um political, and I don't want people to hear this in a partisan way, but I would just say, stop asking the government or expecting the government to do the work of the church, mm. plain and simple. Mm. When, I, when I see Americans comment on the nation, mm. um, there's this, you know, they see the Christian foundations of America slipping away. Right. And I don't think a political party is going to bring that back. Right. I think a revitalized church. If you look at it, eventually a government Mm -hmm. becomes a reflection of a people. Mm. And if the people are increasingly unchristian, the government is going to be increasingly Christian. Mm -hmm. So the way to do that, I mean, you end up into theocracies or totalitarian states where they start to <laughs> impose, you know, right. uh, religious views on people. No, let it bubble up. Like, go mm -hmm. reach your city. Go love mm -hmm. your city. Go love your community. Make a difference in your state. Mm -hmm. Make a difference, you know, in your region. And as you went over heart after heart after heart, person after person, life after life, some of those people will end up being, you know, senators. Some of them will end up being Congress people. Some of them will end up being, you know, running for mayor. And as those things change from the bottom up, you will see a nation transform. Mm -hmm. But looking at the government, being angry, complaining about things doesn't solve anything. You, you got to roll up your sleeves, go meet some people. And with that, you can change the world. Well, Carrie, I really appreciate you being on the show today. If people want to get in touch with you or with the church that you lead, how could they do that? Yeah, sure. Our church is just Connexus Church. That's C O N N E X U S church.com. And you can find it. And then uh, my blog and leadership podcast, it all um, sort of can be found at kerryneuhoff.com. And if C A R E Y, Newhoff, if you come even close, Google will direct you there. Nice. So. That's great. Carrie, I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much for Thanks. challenging us. Appreciate that. Appreciate you, Rich. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter 
at Rich Birch or through email, rich at unseminary.com. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com. It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.